Good morning. Man, it's great to see everyone here this morning. All right, so before I get started today, you just need to know that today is Charleston's last day with us. After our services are concluded, our family is going to be making that long trek to Lubbock, Texas to drop her off. So if you guys will, please make sure that you continue to pray for her and, and her ministry. And, and I know that uh, there have been several who have asked, man, is there any way we can contribute to that ministry? And you can. You can go on our church webpage and there is a place in the giving section that's um, really labeled for Charleston and the uh, AIM project that she's a part of. But also be praying for our family uh, because, like I say, we're going to be driving out there. It's about a 24-hour drive, so we're going to be breaking that up. But just be prayerful for our travels. But most importantly, just continue to pray for Charleston. I can't wait to see how God is going to use her in a big way in the future. All right, so as you guys can see, today we're beginning a new series on a little book that's found actually in the back of your Bibles towards the end of the New Testament. It is 1 John. So if you want to go ahead and be turning there in your Bibles, you can. If you don't have a Bible with you today, hey, it's okay. There should be one in the pew in front of you that you can use. Or you can just follow along with me on the screen behind me today because I'm going to be putting a lot of the Scripture up there and I'll be throwing some important points up on the screen today as well. But as you're turning there, let me, let me say this about 1 John. If I could really summarize 1 John or break 1 John down into two words... First of all, I would use the word assurance. And I think assurance is so important because, and, and you don't have to raise your hand if you'd like to, you can, but, but how many of you would, would be willing to admit that there have, been, there have been times when you have questioned your relationship with Jesus? In other words, there have been times when you wondered, you know, I, I just wonder if I'm still saved. Because, you know, a while back, maybe you confessed your faith in Jesus and you were baptized into Jesus. But, but since then, you know, maybe you've made some really big mistakes spiritually. And, and so there are these doubts that have started to form in your mind. Like, you know, was I really sincere when I gave my life to Jesus? And, and could, could God still love me after the things that I've done. And, and you know, I, I know in my mind that, you know, he probably still, still loves me, but, you know, more than likely, he doesn't like me. At least not now, because, you know, I've made some, I've made some promises to God, and, and I just, I, man, I keep failing in those, those promises. And so how do I know if I'm still in a relationship with Jesus? Is that real for anyone? You know, how, how do I know if God's grace has really covered me? 
And if you've ever had those, those feelings or those questions before, I want you to know you're, you're not alone. I believe that probably all of us have gone through that. All of us have questioned at some point in our lives. Like, am I in a relationship with Jesus? Am I, am I really saved? And, and so this, this question of assurance is I think something that we all need to hear about and wrestle with. And I think John does a great job of this. And, and what's really interesting is we get into this letter that's written by John. What you'll notice is that this is a letter, or this is a book in the New Testament that's not named after the geographical region that it was written to. For, for example... Do you know why the book of Galatians is called the book of Galatians? Right, because it was written to the church at Galatia. And of course, we have other letters in other books like Ephesians and Philippians, which we're going to be looking at that book down the road as well. But, but why was the book of Philippians called the book of Philippians? Because it was written to the church at Philippi. But, but here's the deal. John's particular letter does not have a geographic region or city attached to it. It just has his name. And I think one of the reasons why is because John knows that this question of assurance is something that every Christian deals with at times. Not just the church that's meeting in Ephesus and not just the church that's meeting in Galatia. Not just the church here at Central, but every Christian everywhere deals with this at some point in their life. And what John is going to do here in 1 John is he's going to speak into that. He's going to give us some encouraging words. He's, he's going to give us some assurance. But then the second word I think we could use to really describe 1 John is the word convicting. As you get into to 1 John, man, there, there are some things John's going to say that's going to comfort you. It's going to encourage you. But there are some things that he's also going to say in this letter that's going to challenge you. And it's going to convict you. In fact, today what we're going to do is, is we're going to look at, at a portion of... First John chapter 1, and listen, I'm not going to be able, I'm just going to warn you now, I'm not going to be able to get through the whole first chapter. So what I'm going to ask you to do is after you leave here today, maybe throughout the week, read the rest of the chapter and do some deeper study on your own. Then Lord willing, next Sunday we're going to jump into chapter 2. But not only is this first chapter encouraging, but it's also equally convicting. And I don't have a problem preaching things that are convicting because really that's where change starts, right? And, and really, as Christians, that's what you and I want. We, we want change. We want to look more like Jesus tomorrow than we did the day before, right? We want to become more and more like Jesus. Well, John says there's some good news and bad news. How many of you like good news? 
Okay, I think most of us do. And, and I think most of you probably know where there is good news, there's usually bad news. In fact, how many of you have ever had someone come up to you and say, hey, I've got some good news and some bad news. Which one do you want first? Right? Well, as we look at First John, as we look at what John tells us about Jesus, we're going to hear some really good news. I mean, that's, that's the gospel. The story of Jesus, you know, it's often referred to as the good news, and it is. And, and if you ever find yourself unimpressed or tired of or bored with the gospel, probably what that means is you don't know how bad the bad news is. Right? And in order for us to understand how good the good news is, we have to understand how bad the bad news is. And as we get into first shine, man, John does an awesome job of dealing with this. Okay, so just keep that in mind. With, with all that set up, we've, we've got to jump into verse one. You guys bear with me. Now, remember, we started late. So if I go over a little bit today, it's not my fault, right? Y'all. Y'all with me? But I'm going to do my best to get us out on on time. But look at at verse 1. John writes, We proclaim to you the One who existed from the beginning. Now, stop right there just for a few moments and let me explain something. Not only did John write 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, also Revelation, which is at the back of your, your Bibles in, you know, towards the end of the New Testament. John also wrote the Gospel of John, which is at the beginning of the New Testament, right? Or at least towards the beginning of the New Testament. And, and John begins his Gospel really the same way he begins 1 John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 1, what did John say? In the beginning was the, what church? The Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? The Word was God, right? So John takes us all the way back to the beginning, and he tells us that Jesus has existed from the very beginning. Why? Because He is God. Right? We, we have to understand that Jesus is God. Now, he goes on to say, in whom we have heard and we have seen. We saw Him with our own eyes and we touched Him with our own hands. He is the Word of life. This One who is life itself was revealed to us and the us, be, us there uh, meaning the apostles. And we have seen Him. And now we testify and proclaim to you that He is the One who is eternal life. He was with the Father, and then He was revealed to us. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that you may fully share in our joy. Now stop right there and and here's the question. What is John trying to do here? Well, John is getting ready. You need to understand this. I told you there's a convicting side. John is getting ready to say some heavy things here. And he wants us to know where these things came from and how he has the authority to talk about these things. And it's because of Jesus. He says, I I was with Jesus. I, I heard His teachings. 
He says, I saw Jesus do the miraculous. He says, listen, he says, I even touched his resurrected body. In other words, Jesus verified to us who he was through the miraculous. You see, the proof of the apostles and and the disciples of that day weren't, you know, weren't so much because of his teaching and, and the proof of who he was wasn't so much about what people said about him. The real proof came to the apostles and, and his followers through their witness of his power. John's like, look, what I'm getting ready to proclaim to you, I saw it. With my own eyes. I saw things that were unexplainable, but it was undeniable. And right, we we have an example of this in John's Gospel, right? If you go back to John's Gospel, John chapter 9, you see this story about a guy who is born blind. And you remember what the religious leaders thought? The religious leaders thought that his blindness came about because of God's judgment on him. Like this guy had sinned in some way or his parents had sinned in some way and so God punished him by making him blind. That's what they thought. And Jesus comes along and He explains to His disciples, He says, that's not true. He said, you need to understand that this man was born blind to bring glory to God. And in the presence of all who were there that day, He healed him. And the glory of God was shown. But here's what's so amazing, right? The religious leaders call for the blind man after he's healed, and they were so unaffected by the miracle that that he was no longer blind, that when they talk to this guy, they don't celebrate the fact that he's no longer blind. Rather, they began to question him on how he knows Jesus. And what this guy, Jesus, is really all about. In fact, they ask, they ask this guy, they're like, so how did this happen to you? Because this guy, Jesus, that you say did it, he's a sinner. And so that couldn't possibly be. And I love the blind man's response. This is so funny. Verse 25 of John chapter 9, he says, I don't know whether he's a sinner or not. He said, but I know this, I was blind. And now I see. Are you getting it? He's like, look, I I don't know what you guys are talking about, but here's what I know. The unexplainable is undeniable because, listen, I was blind just a few moments ago, and now I am able to see. And I just want to stop right here and say, you know, that's a really good definition of faith. Some of you are like, what's, what's, what's this faith stuff all about? Listen, faith is, is not about you taking out your brain, okay? It's, it, it's not about walking away from logic or, or being naive. You're taking notes. Write this down. Faith is when the unexplainable meets the undeniable. Right now, for some of you, there may be some things about Christianity that are really challenging to believe. Maybe it's Jesus' resurrection. Or, or maybe it's, it's Jesus' teaching, right? And, and, and here's the, the deal. Even though you may question that, you have to admit it's hard to dismiss, 
right? And, and so really the question becomes, are you willing to doubt your doubts? You've got some doubts? Okay, that's, that's alright. But the question is, are you willing to doubt your doubts? Because we come to this place where the unexplainable meets the undeniable. Listen, the tomb is empty. I love the book by Lee Strobel, The Case for Christ. Some of you may have even seen the movie. Fantastic movie. Lee Strobel was a guy who was an atheist. And he set out to prove that Christianity was a farce. And he knew that the way to do that was by proving that he didn't really really rise from the dead. He set out to prove that the resurrection never happened. And as he began to examine all the evidence he began to realize that the unexplainable was undeniable. He began to realize, man, the tomb is empty and there's only one explanation. Jesus rose from the grave and He converted Himself to Christianity. If you haven't read the book, like if you're questioning you know, faith and Christianity, read Lee Strobel's book, Case for Christ. You can also watch it in movie form as well. But are you willing to doubt your doubts? I mean, look at the the teachings of Jesus. Oftentimes, people want to doubt His teachings, but, but one of the things that just stands out to me about Jesus' teaching is for thousands of years, people's lives had been completely changed for the better by His teaching, right? And so what do you do with that? So just kind of keep that at the forefront of your mind. Well, for the remainder of the chapter, we we got to hurry. John is going to address this question. How can a sinful person come into a right relationship with a holy and just God? And, And maybe that's the question some of you are asking right now. You know, Slate, I've sinned. I have, I have made some really big mistakes in my life. And so how can I come into a right relationship with Jesus? And, and one of the things that John is going to do is he's going to take a shot at religion. Okay, which is probably very surprising for some of you. Listen, you have to understand that there is a difference between a relationship with Jesus and religion. There's a a, a huge difference. Religion is the idea that I'm trying to earn my way to God. Or I'm trying to have a right standing with God through my right behavior, which will do one of two things, right? It will either crush us with shame because we can never do enough. We can never be good enough. Or... It will lead us to a sense of spiritual pride where we start comparing ourselves to others and even looking down on others. Remember the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector? Right? In his spiritual pride, the Pharisee you know, is pointing to the tax collector and he's talking to God and he says, God, I am so thankful that I am not like this guy. And, and that's what religion does. When, when it's all about us, it, it either creates a sense of shame or it creates a sense of spiritual pride. And so John says it can't be religion. You know, it's interesting. Oftentimes when people are asked about their walk with God, what, what they will say or their relationship with God, what they'll say is, well, I, I go to such and such church. 
And it's like, no, I don't think you understood the question. I, I didn't ask you what church you went to. I asked you about your walk. I asked you about your relationship with Jesus. I've been in ministry, for those of you who are visiting or, or you're new to Central, I've been in ministry for about 27 years. And, and one of the things that I have noticed is that there are a lot of people who know a lot of people, who know a lot about Jesus. I mean, they grew up going to church, they grew up studying their Bible, but it is very apparent they don't have a relationship with Jesus. And you say, is that even possible? I mean, is it possible to go to church all your life and, and study the Bible all your life and, and, and not have a relationship with Jesus? Look at, look at what Jesus says to the religious people of His day. The people who knew the Scriptures inside and out. John 5, again, John's Gospel, starting in verse 39. Jesus says, you search the Scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. He says, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that it is possible to know the principles and not have a relationship with the prince. Well, what... John is going to say next is going to sting a little bit. But it's a good kind of sting. Remember, I told you that there's conviction in 1 John. But, but it's a good sting. It's kind of like having surgery. How many, how many of you have ever had surgery before? Um, how many of you would say after you came through that surgery, you were sore or you were in a lot of pain? Okay, my, my mother-in-law, she just had knee replacement surgery. She's had trouble with her knees for the longest time. But she came out of that knee replacement surgery and she was in a lot of pain. Now, she's doing better now, but she was in a lot of pain. But it was absolutely necessary for her to go through that. It was absolutely necessary for her to have that surgery so that she could get better. And that's what John is going to do here. Look at, look at verse 5. He says, this is the message that we heard from who, church? Oh, that was terrible. I'm not letting y'all slide on that one. This is the message that we heard from who, church? Thank you. And now declare to you. In other words, what John is saying is, look, I'm just the messenger. Okay, don't, don't shoot me. I'm just sharing with you what Jesus shared with me. And so now I'm, I'm passing this on to you. And then he gives us this sharp contrast. He says, God is light. And there is no darkness in Him at all. So we are, what church? Lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not, what church? Practicing the truth. I, I love the fact that, that John uses that word practice there. Listen, there is, there is absolutely no way that we could justify ourselves in the eyes of a holy God. Right? We are, we are all sinners and, and there is nothing that we could do to save ourselves. So God had to save us by sending His one and only Son to down a cross for our sins. And once we were saved, we started practicing righteousness. We started practicing holiness. 
knowing that when we fall, listen to me, God's grace is there to catch us. But it takes practice. It's like when I first started playing disc golf. You know, I went out and I was absolutely horrible. I couldn't throw the disc, you know, half the distance of what these other guys were throwing in. And, and here's the deal. For me to get better, I couldn't just, you know, sit on my couch or, or lay in bed thinking about that. I actually had to get up. I had to go back out. I had to practice. And here's the thing. The more I went out, the better I became at disc golf. And the same is true with righteousness and truth. We, we've got to practice it. And he says we're actually lying to ourselves, to God, and for sure ourselves. If we say, listen to me this morning, this is important. If we say we're in fellowship with God and we are not practicing truth. And you say, well, Slate, what do you mean by that? Well, we don't really know God if we're willfully and defiantly pursuing what God calls sin. Now, let me also say this, and this is also very important. As we come to Jesus, you and I will continue to sin. Because we're all broken sinners and, and we're going to sin on a daily basis. And so what John is talking about here is premeditated sin. Where, where we know that this is a sin, but, but in our mind and in our heart we say, well, you know, I just don't care because I want to do what I want to do. Or, or maybe in our mind we have the thought, well, you know, I'm just going to do this anyway because, you know what, God's going to forgive me. You know, we just kind of cheapen grace. We, we take advantage of God's grace when we do something like that. But, but we continue to do it, you know, over and over and, and over again. And it may even get to the point where we do it so much, in our mind we start to reason, is this really even a sin? And so we kind of move it out of that category, even. But yet it clearly violates God's best for you and me. And so the question becomes, how do we feel about God's commands? Think about that for a moment. Think about, yeah, I did. Sorry about that. I'm going to have to stay behind the pulpit. My battery just died. But think about that. How do you feel about God's commands? Some of you may say, well, you know, they're okay, but they're a little old-fashioned. You know, they're, they're good for some people, but I don't necessarily know that they're good for me and, and, and my situation. Listen, listen to what the psalmist says in, in Psalm 19, verse 8. He says, The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for the living. And here's the question. Is that how we feel about God's commands? Do they bring us joy? You know, do we, do we look at it as, man, this is, this is God's insight. This is His wisdom for my life so that I can truly be blessed. How do we stay in spiritual darkness? How do we, as John referred to in the text, how do we lie to ourselves? Well, if you're taking notes with me this morning, I think there are two common ways. First of all, by believing in God without repenting. 
before God. You know, statistically, 90% of us say that we believe in a God. But that doesn't mean that we have turned our lives over to God. That we are living for God. You know, there's a, there's a word in the Bible that's used over and over and over again, especially by Jesus, and it is the word repent. And, and what that word repent or repentance means in the original language is a change in perspective, a change in direction. In other words, I'm, I'm, I'm living one way, I'm doing things this way, but then I turn around and I go in a different direction. I start heading toward God and, and living for Him. But here's the deal, man. Our flesh does not want that to happen, right? Our flesh does not want us to submit to God. And, and really, I think that's what it all boils down to is, is lordship, right? We want Jesus to save us. I mean, who doesn't want that? But submitting to Jesus as the Lord over our lives, man, that can be really, really tough. We can't have one without the other. Well, Slate, I just don't always like what Jesus asked me to do. I mean, I want him to, I want him to save me, but, but I don't want him ruling over my life. I, I don't want him telling me what to do all the time. But repentance is what God requires of us. I mean, belief is awesome. Belief is great, but belief is only the first step, right? James says in James chapter 2, verse 16, that even the demons believe, but they're not saved. And, and you look at Jesus again. I told you, he talked about repentance a lot. For example, in Mark chapter 1, repentance was the first response that Jesus calls for. And as you look at Acts chapter 2, remember on the day of Pentecost after Peter preached the first gospel sermon, the people who heard it, they said, what can we do? How can we be saved? And the very first thing that Peter says in verse 38 is, is repent. And then do you remember what Paul said in Acts 17 verse 30? He says, in the past God overlooked such ignorance, but now He, why church? He commands all people everywhere to, why church? To repent. What if I said this morning, that man, this is the best chair in the world. Notice I'm not pointing to this one, it's got a rip in the pleather, right? But this one, this is the best chair in the world. And, and I believe in this chair. And, and when you say, well, well, Slate, why don't you sit in it? And, and I say, well, you know, I really, I, I just don't want to because I really don't know that it will, you know, handle my weight. I don't know that it will be able to support me. Well, what I just told you is I really don't have a lot of faith and trust in that chair. Even though I said I did, right? It's the best chair in the world. You know, but, but saying one thing and actually doing something else is, is quite different, right? Um, I, I don't have a whole lot of faith in the, the chair. In a, in a spiritual sense, true faith in Jesus is when we say, you know what, even though this may not make sense to me, even though I really don't want to do this or I really want to do this, you know what, I trust you, Jesus. 
I trust that your way is good and that you have my best interest in mind. And so we repent. We want to come out of, of darkness and we want to walk in the light. We've, we've got to repent and we've got to turn toward Him. But then secondly, how do we walk in darkness? How, how do we lie to ourselves by being casual rather than being confessional about our sin? When it comes to sin in your life, how do you deal? You know, are you casual about it or, or are you confessional? You know, it's so easy when it comes to sin to treat sin flippantly or dismissively, right? Especially in the culture in which we live in today. Now, maybe we know something that the Bible says and maybe we don't like it or maybe we don't agree with it or, or maybe it's just not convenient for us and so we start trying, we're tempted to rationalize it or to try and explain it or, or dismiss it away. But here's the deal, we can't say that Jesus is our Savior and Lord, and continue to embrace what He died for on the cross, which is sin. That's taking advantage of His grace. Now again, please hear me this morning. Don't leave without understanding this this morning. This doesn't mean that we won't ever sin. We will, okay? Probably on a daily basis. It's, it's guaranteed. But, but what is our internal response when we sin? Do we try and hide it? Do we try and rationalize it? Do, do we try and just dismiss it out of our minds? Or does it drive us to confession and repentance and surrender? Listen, God's mercy is like waves that keep rolling in. But you know what? In order to, re to really... Um, experience waves, guess what? You've got to go to the beach. And in a similar sense, that, that's confession and, and repentance. And in order to receive His mercy, we've, we've got to confess, John says, and, and we've got to repent of our sins. And when we do, listen to me, He will receive us no matter what. And that is really good news. And so here's, here's the bad news. We don't really know God if we're willfully harboring sin. But here's the good news. We do know God if we surrender and we confess and we repent of those sins as Christians. All right, got to hurry. I'm running out of time. Verse 7, But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other and the white church... The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we claim that we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Man, this is the best news ever, isn't it? And yet, as I told you, it's, it's also convicting. Because, going back to the, the whole bad news, good news, the bad news is, we don't know God, John says, if we say that we have no sin. But the good news is this, we do know God when we are deeply aware of our sinfulness. Listen, the clearest sign that we're growing in our understanding of how God's grace works is not that we no longer sin, because we will, 
but that we become aware of our sin and we confess it and we repent of it. Julie and I, we have nightstands beside our bed. And at night, man, those nightstands look awesome. But then the next morning, when you pull those blinds and the sun light starts to, to shine in, guess what? You begin to see dust that's starting to form. Now at that point, we have, Julie and I have one of two options, right? We can start working on getting up the dust, or we can say, you know, it's not that bad, let's just close the blinds, right? Because then it's not as, as visible. Listen, the closer we get to God, the closer we come into the light. And we recognize our need for the cleansing of God. Remember, remember Isaiah? Remember his response as he comes into the presence of God? Man, I'm really trying to stay behind this mic. Isaiah 6 verse 5, he says, It is all over. I am doomed for I am a white church. I'm a sinful man. At one point in Peter's life, in Luke chapter 5, he, he encounters Jesus. And he falls down at Jesus' feet and he says, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am a what? A sinful man. That's how we know someone knows God. They're humble. And they recognize their need for grace. They're not harsh. They're not always looking down on others. But they're, they're humble and they recognize their sin. Last one, verse 9 and 10. We're done. But if we confess our sins to Him, confess, not hide, right? Confess our sins to Him. He is faithful. And that word faithful there just literally tells us that, you know, God is always going to do what He says He's going to do every single time. He's always going to come through. He is faithful and just, meaning He's always going to do what's right. He is faithful and just to what, church? To forgive us of our sins, praise God. And to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claim we've not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. And in other words, this is what I want you to take home with you today, and this is such good news, okay? Here's the assurance that John is giving us today from chapter 1. If we are faithful to confess, he says, He, that's God, is faithful to what, church? To forgive. In other words, we don't have to hide it. We don't have to, to carry that around with us. We don't have to live in shame. We can take that and we can bring it to the feet of God and say, God, man, this is what I've done. And I am, I am so sorry. And I just want to confess that to you. And, and, and I need the power of the Holy Spirit to help me turn and, and go in a different direction. To, to stay away from that. And John says, if you will confess and you'll repent, man, he will accept you every time. 
And that is such good news. And so, regardless of who you are, I want to ask you to search your heart right now. Are any of these things true of you? Are you right now willingly and defiantly continuing to sin? Maybe to the point to where you've even changed the definition of sin. Or what about this? Are you having a hard time believing that God's grace can can cover you? And you don't have to struggle with that. He has given us His assurance. You don't have to doubt the blood of Jesus. There is power in the blood and and the power from His blood washes away and removes every sin that you and I have ever committed. And man, that is so awesome. We want to go ahead and extend an invitation Today, if if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus and and you want to know more about Jesus, listen, I would love to tell you about Him. And and I would love to talk to you uh, about putting your faith in Him and, and putting on Christ in baptism, having your sins washed away in His blood. Also, if you're here today and and maybe you are a Christian, but man, as far as assurance. Goes, man, you've just been really anxious and you've been, you've been scared and, and, and maybe you've been questioning in your mind and you don't have to feel that, that way anymore. And, and listen, we'll pray for you and we'll encourage you in whatever way that we can. Or if there's some sin in your life that's really keeping you from having the relationship with God that you need to have, we'll, we'll pray about that as well and encourage you and help you in that area too. But if you have a need, won't you come together we stand and sing?